PRN. Pause, renew, next. A podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler. Friends, I'm so glad you're here with me today. This podcast episode was a lot of fun for me because we're talking about something that is one of my favorite topics, and that is the Enneagram. This is the continuation of a conversation I started with Melissa Corkum in the last podcast episode. So if you missed that one, make sure you go back and check it out. We talked about connected parenting, and she offered so many great tips and helpful words of wisdom. It really encouraged me a lot. I think it will you too. In this podcast episode, though, we talk about the Enneagram because she's also a certified Enneagram coach. The Enneagram is really popular right now, so I'm sure you've heard about it, even if you're not quite sure what it is. And I think Melissa does a great job of deep diving into it in a short amount of time to kind of explain what it is, how it can help with relationships, and a little bit about how it relates to her and her family personally. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Okay, so in our last episode, we talked a lot about connected parenting and about your adoption journey. And in this podcast, we're talking about a subject that I love, the Enneagram. And so for a lot of my listeners, if you've if they've taken time to listen to my past episodes, they know that the Enneagram tends to come up quite a lot, but we've never done a deep dive. So I'm really excited about this. But before we do, can you share a fun fact about yourself? So a fun fact about me, my love language is really crunchy things. So my kids all know to like save me the bottom of like the fry cups, you know, like I like all the like overcooked, extra salty, crispy fries. And then also uh, like the half popped kernels at the bottom of like the popcorn bag or like the bottom of the bowl. There's like those ones that like don't quite pop all the way, but they get like that nice, like little white crack, but they're still edible. So if my kids save those for me, I know that they're really thinking about me and they love me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I like that. Okay. So about the Enneagram for listeners who are new to the Enneagram, and I feel like right now we're in the heyday of it. So I'm sure everybody has at least heard of it. Maybe everybody doesn't know what it is. Can you kind of briefly describe what it is and how you find it helpful? Sure. So A lot of people, if they've heard of it but aren't super familiar, will probably have heard of it grouped in with other personality typing systems like the Myers-Briggs or the Strengths Finders, DISC, those types of things. I think it's a little bit of a misnomer, but it's probably the best category for it. So it's basically a map of self-discovery, self-reflection. I think it's different than a lot of other personality typing systems because it's not an assessment. There are assessments, but that's not how it started. It's much more about self-reflection and it talks more about motivations than actual behaviors, Mm -hmm. um, which makes it a little bit trickier to navigate than some other types because there's not this nice, clean assessment because it's really hard in an assessment to tease out why you do what you do, right? We could all say that we like a nice, neat home, but it's going to be different. The reasons why for each person, depending on their type and their motivations. Yeah. That was a great way to summarize way to go. I feel like the Enneagram is so broad that it's kind of hard to put it in a little snippet, but that was a great way to do it. So, um, before we really start talking too deeply about 
your role with the Enneagram and what you think about it. Tell me, how did you stumble upon the Enneagram? Like, how did it become a thing for you? Well, like all great things, I heard about it on a podcast. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was a couple years ago, and I was just fascinated by, one, the simplicity. So the thing about the Enneagram is it kind of breaks the world down into these nine lenses that people see the world. So in some ways, that seems oversimplified. But if you start digging and you really learn it, there is a lifetime's worth of information in this neat little nine-pointed star. And so Enya, just to back up a sec, Enya means nine in Greek and gram means like drawing. So you'll see this nine-pointed geometric figure that helps us navigate the Enneagram and how different things are connected. And so And there's a lot of movement, which is different than other typing systems, too. It really recognizes as humans, right, that we aren't the same way all the time. And so I like that about it. But I just was fascinated by how accurately it could describe a person. And as I was learning about all the nine numbers briefly through this podcast, I like had people popping up in my head, like, oh, that explains that person. And oh, that person. And so we're not supposed to type other people. It's definitely a personal journey, but it, I think, gives us compassion for other ways that people see the world. And it helps us. I like systems. I'm an engineer by education. So I like this path, this way to see it that makes sense. That's not just kind of, you know, haphazard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So am I allowed to ask what the podcast was? Yeah. Yeah. It was um, Annie F. Downs's That Sounds Fun podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she talks about the Enneagram all the time. (laughs) Yes, she does. So she's doing Ennea Summer as we're recording this right now. I think when it comes out, it'll be over. But um, yeah. So I knew she did it last year. Did she do it two years ago too? Has this been kind of a recurring thing for her? Um, I think Enya Summer was new last summer for her, but she did, this goes back to maybe three or four Christmases ago. She did like kind of a lighthearted, fun, um, what you should get each Enneagram type for Christmas. And I was like, Enneagram, like, I just, I didn't even know what it was. So I, it was kind of a weird backdoor introduction to it because you really, I feel like had to know something about the Enneagram to appreciate this Christmas gift episode, but it was enough to make me, you know, dig deeper, Google it look for more things, you know, read yeah. about all the things. And then of course become a coach because I don't know, I, I like to, I'm a seven, which I guess we'll talk about in a second. It just means I, I love all new things. I love exciting things. And so I thought it would be fun to be an Enneagram coach. And so here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good. That fits in perfectly. I am not a coach, but I love it deeply because um, I mean, personality stuff and people stuff in general, I'm a two. And so I love people, relationships, how people work. So the Enneagram has been really fascinating for me. Um, I came to it because actually I had a few people come up to me and um, ask me, oh, you know about the Enneagram, right? And then I had to play off like, like I probably should know what that is. And I'll be (laughs) like, oh yeah, I've heard of it. Tell me more, you know? And um, then we did a training at my work maybe a year and a half ago. And after that, I got so interested, I realized that there were all these books and all these podcasts. And so I really dove in. I'm kind of an audio learner is what I figured out. I can read and learn, but I really learn better from listening, which I don't know that that's really typical, but it's definitely true for me. So podcasts have been helpful because I don't have the money or the time to go to millions of trainings. 
but there's so much good information out there. Really good, especially about the Enneagram right now. Yeah. Podcasts are a great way to learn about the Enneagram. And I think it's because, and you'll appreciate this as a relational too, a lot of the podcasts aren't necessarily teaching. They're these conversations where people share their number and then share how they see the world. And so it's a podcasts for the Enneagram in particular are very relational way to start to understand it. And the Enneagram in itself is so relational. Um, And so I think just hearing from other people is so powerful. And that's really how I figured out my type because I mistyped for a long time. I thought I was a one and it was through things like any summer and people inter- you know, being on panels and podcasts where they interviewed, you know, and I would listen to ones and threes and sevens. I was like between all these numbers and it was through those conversations and hearing people's experiences that helped me finally really understand like what my core motivations were, even though my behaviors looked like all these other numbers. Yeah. And what I've heard is that it's not a great idea to go take a bunch of assessments. It's better to read, to listen, to kind of let it simmer inside of yourself and figure it out because it is kind of hard in an assessment to figure out behaviors. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, which is hard because we're all busy, right? And so assessments (laughs) feel like the shortcut and everyone's like, well, I don't have time to read a bunch of books and listen to a bunch of podcasts. But I also encourage people that, you know, you don't, it's all part of a journey and figuring out your type and how you identify is like one point in that journey. And so I think if we take typing ourselves away as like the holy grail of the Enneagram and just start learning about it, because it's beneficial to know all nine numbers. I think we feel like we want to take an assessment, learn what our number is, and then just pay attention to that number. But really, if we're going to use it in our lives the best way, you'll it, you'll be the most effective if you have this basic understanding, at least of around all nine numbers. And so think of your journey towards typing as also just a general education journey. And then it takes some of the pressure off to really nail down your number and, and be so hyper-focused. Yeah, I think that's really great wisdom. This podcast, I think that there's probably people who are not necessarily coming from a Christian perspective who listen to this podcast, but I'm going to say the majority probably do. And so I know that sometimes people are confused as far as where faith mixes into the Enneagram. Does it? Is the Enneagram maybe anti-Christian because it looks like a pentagram and it sounds like that? Have you run into those questions and how do you answer that? Yeah, it's funny. So I was certified through Beth and Jeff McCord at Your Enneagram Coach. And of course, their whole premise is they love to present an Enneagram or a gospel-focused Enneagram. Right. And I think some of the best ways that I've heard it described is that, one, Jesus was kind of like the perfect integration of all nine views of ways to see the world, all the different um, things and and the Enneagram really is asking us, even though we have this subconscious dominant way we see the world, it does encourage us to grow into the best version of ourselves. And a lot of times that's integrating other numbers into our lives in a more intentional way. And mm-hmm. so the Enneagram is can be seen as nine ways kind of towards Christ, towards our best version of ourselves. And 
the path for each one of us towards this wholeness is going to look different based on our own motivations and in some ways our own sinful desires, right? Like, so as I was just talking to my mom this morning and she's a nine and I'm a seven, which is considered like this more aggressive independent number. And we were actually talking about this and I said, you know, like what she needs to do to become more integrated and more whole is to learn to be more assertive that her voice matters. But that's not true for like an eight who that's their natural way is to kind of bulldoze over people, right? If they're not being careful, they need to, you know, their path to wholeness is going to look more like self-control and restraint. And so we have to, there is not one path towards um, towards wholeness. It's different for all of us based on our personality. And the Enneagram kind of keeps us from having to learn too much the hard way, right? It kind of gives us this map of the practices and the ways that we can challenge ourselves to be better versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. That was a great way of talking about it. One way that I've been thinking about it lately is, um, I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about the body of Christ. And I think there are spiritual gifts that can be given that are not necessarily personality, but I think that there are some that come naturally with personality. Like for nines, grace is kind of a, a natural thing more so than it would be for an eight, that kind of thing. Yeah. So thinking about what are the gifts that each person brings to the table and like the beauty of how we each see things differently. So I think the Enneagram is a great lens for that. Well, I was, gonna, I was also just going to add, I think the gospel asks us to be compassionate for other people and to be good neighbors to people. And so I think the Enneagram also gives us a reason to be compassionate because it helps us understand each other better. It helps me be compassionate towards your view of the world to understand that your view is just as valid as my view. And so I think it takes us out of this like egocentric view of the world and asks us to, you know, put on lenses that are more like Jesus's that we can love our neighbors well. Yeah. Which we always need, but especially at this time, especially in our country, I think that that is a, a gift. And I'm glad that you bring that up. So we've talked about that you're a seven. How does that color how you see the world, your marriage and your per- parenting style? So I'm a seven. And for those of you who are not as familiar with the Enneagram, our title by some would be called the entertaining optimist. Um, and no number is better than another. So if you're thinking, well, that sounds like a really fun number to be. I wish I was that number. Um, there's a kind of like a darker shadow side to every number. So there's good things and bad things about each number. Um, so while we are super optimistic, the downside to that is we often don't make room for the hard or for the negative emotions and behaviors. And so from an attachment perspective, that means that I am really if I'm not careful, I can be really dismissive of, you know, hurts. And, you know, I'm like the, the mom who looks at the kid and it's like, you're fine. Just get up and brush it off. Like, keep going. Um, I'm, I have to be really intentional about now that I know the Enneagram and I know, you know, that I'm this head type that's very pragmatic and future focused that I have kids in my family who are more tethered to the past and who feel first before they think. And I have to honor that um, and honor it as 
an appropriate way to see the world, even though I want to say, why are you doing that? Why would you feel that way? Why are you reacting that way? Um, and so it's been really helpful. Um, the Enneagram also is gracious enough to tell us what we look like when we're stressed out. And I think that's been really helpful for me, for myself, and also for the relationships in my life. Because if I see a behavior that is maybe outside of, you know, the type of things that I love, like about my husband, for example, now that I have the Enneagram, I know that those things are telling me that he's struggling. So rather than me taking it personally and getting all critical, I can have some more compassion and maybe offer to let him have a break or, you know, take something off his plate, right? That that's, you know, like we talked about in the last episode, like seeing needs behind the behavior. And so, and also as for me as a mom, my number seven goes to the kind of low side of one when we're stressed, which is the perfectionist over critical part of one. And so that means that when I start feeling all the stress rising in me about, you know, how clean the house is or how the laundry is not folded, you know, and I start getting really nitpicky, I can now use that as kind of like a rumble strip. Um, Beth McCord talks about this where, you know, like this on the highways, if you're about to like run off the road, like, it's like um, that the Enneagram shows us what we look like when we're about to like lose it through our behaviors. And so now I know that when I start getting that way, like, I'm like, Oh, Melissa, like what's going on with you? Like what's stressing you out? And so I can deal with my own stuff rather than taking it out on my family. Yeah, that's really good. So speaking of any, summer, I was just listening to the one about the twos and the guy with, and we go to eight in stress, which is, it seems like polar opposite. Cause here you're like, I want people to like me. I want to be very kind. I want to be in tune. And then eight comes out and it's like the Hulk. Like my boundaries have been crossed. Um, and the man on there who was a two was talking about how he almost, he can like feel it happening inside of himself. He can feel it like transforming into the eight. And I really have noticed that myself too, when that happens, when the stress is building, I can feel myself getting a little more forceful. I'm not so much about conflict, but if you put me in the corner, I will come out swinging if I have to. And then afterwards, when I'm you know, not in a stress of a place. I'm like, oh no, what did I do? I can't believe that I said that. <laughs> I have to go make amends that I said that. So yes, I completely understand that. And on the other side, we, we can go to kind of a different place in growth as well. So for a seven, what does that look like? So sevens go to five in growth. And what that looks like is I have healthier boundaries because as a seven, one of the things I noticed, like, especially during the pandemic to deal with the stress, seven, one of the ways that sevens can be stressed too is like, we're just looking for, like, I was like frantically looking for things to make me happy, like new things. Like I was shop, like every Instagram ad that came up, like with something that looked like it might be fun to own. Like I was buying it. I was like, I couldn't finish a book. Like every, like I had like 10 books started. Cause I was like, Oh, that one looks good. And that one looks good. So we get like, really frantic about new experiences because we're like looking to be satisfied, but we can't quite get there. It's this like kind of weird kind of gluttony is what the Enneagram would name it as. Um, and so fives are like the polar opposite of that. They are very measured with their energy. They're um, 
just much more intentional, I think about a lot of things. And so when sevens kind of are more grounded, then they use that five energy to kind of slow down, have boundaries, be more focused, um, go deeper rather than wide. And so, mm-hmm. um, that is a practice, you know, for me to say no to more things like in business, I'm tempted to try all the new shiny things rather than just keep doing the things at work, you know, and put in kind of the harder effort. Um, so yeah, fives kind of keep us tethered to the ground. <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems random probably in listening to this, if you, if you can't see a picture. So for anybody who's listening to this, who doesn't have a picture, I will try to post some sort of picture on the show notes or go Google it. So you have an understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about all the numbers. But I do think that it's kind of an amazing system and talking from a Christian perspective, like how the Lord balances us out because it helps us be more stable, really, to know that we can shift when we need to in stress, which helps us kind of survive or do the things that would come hard for us naturally, maybe. And also to watch out because we may act in sinful ways also when we're in that place. And then to have this other side, this growth thing that balances us out as well. I think it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize is you can actually move on in both directions. Or we kind of see them as growth and stress lines. But um, when you move on your growth line, but to the low side of that number, it can be your blind spot. Like, because we have uh-huh. access to all the the good, the bad, and the ugly of all the you know numbers that we're connected to. And so... Um, when sevens get really, really stressed, or especially around people that they feel really secure with, we look like really ugly fives. Like we kind of withdraw, we kind of shut down. Uh, it's very uncharacteristic. You don't see it often. But the other part is that number that we go to in stress, rather than going to the kind of low side of that number, we can really work hard and go to the high side of our stress yes. number. And that's like kind of like the mecca of of true integration is when you can really integrate the more positive sides of the, the number that you typically act out in. Right. That's <laughs> um, right. So it gives us all these other places to go, which is really kind of interesting too. It is. And helpful to know, I think. So how would somebody go about finding their number podcasts, books? Do you have any specific resources that you really like? So there's a couple really great books you can start with. Um, the Road Back to You by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Cron is a great book. Um, there's also a book called The Essential Enneagram. Um, I think it's by somebody Daniels, and it's a little tiny yellow paperback. Um, that book in itself was meant to be kind of an assessment in a book. So there's instructions in that book on on how to read it in a way that hopefully by the time you finish reading it, you'll have a good idea of what your number is. Um there are so many great podcasts out there. And so just get on your podcast app and search for Enneagram. And my, some of my favorite um, favorites are, I love the way Suzanne Stabile teaches about the Enneagram. Um, your Enneagram coach, their first nine episodes were an overview of each of the nine types. So if you wanted to kind of run through, uh, you know, that might be quicker than reading a book. You know, if you're, you know, you can do that while you're folding laundry or driving kids around, things like that. Um, those are great places to start. And then there's always coaching, um, you know, kind of teasing out some of this with somebody to ask you questions and that can help shorten your journey a little bit because they'll be able to ask 
and tease out some of the things that you're saying with a little bit more insight than you, you know, running around in your own head, trying to figure yeah. it out. Understanding underlying motivations and things like that sometimes can be tricky. So yeah. that can be helpful to be able to process that with somebody. I, I think it's funny too. And and so some people will need a coach to kind of figure out their type because they just might be like, I was so confused. I was like, I don't know. I think I'm this and I think I'm that. Um, but other people hear their type and they immediately relate, but also like cut from a humorous perspective because it's like someone's reading your mail, you know, like it can be so yeah. intimate for to hear your type yeah. and be like, how did they know that about me? So we also laugh and say that like, if you're reading a book about the Enneagram, like when you get to the chapter that makes you want to throw the book across the room, that might be your type. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yes. I've heard that multiple times or hide under a rock or something like that. Yeah. 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 Like if the strong, like whatever number you kind of react strongest to, whether it be either in relation to, or like, I never want to be that number, just take a closer look and, and be, you know, have an open mind, but that might be your number. You know, it's kind of funny. I didn't have that response. I think most people do. My response was like, oh, I hope I'm a two. I really think I'm a two. I want to be a two. What if I'm not? What if I'm something else? No, no. I think I really am. <laughs> But, and I've heard most of the time sevens feel the same way. Like they're proud. Did you not feel proud when you realized you were a seven? Most sevens I mean, feel like they are. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot about sevens that on the surface seem like it's a great number to be. On the surface, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys have so much energy and you are like the party. The party arrives when you guys show up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I have an eight wing. So like I have a lot of, energy sometimes for good or for bad, but. <laughs> so technically you're not supposed to type your children. It's supposed to be something that you do for yourself, which we kind of already mentioned, but I know the Enneagram can be also a helpful parenting tool and you talk about it in that way a lot. How can you, or how do you use the Enneagram in parenting? So let's be honest. I type my kids in my head all the time. <laughs> I think the key is not, um, and Beth McCord talks about this, not to use it as a sword or a shield. So I don't ever say to my kids, you're being such a one, or I bet you're, I bet you're a one because you're doing that, right? That's not helpful to their own journey and to them coming to the Enneagram. And that's kind of like using it like a sword. Um, the shield is, well, I'm a seven. So, and that's just the way sevens, you know, we don't do negative behaviors. So suck it up. You know, that's like a shield, like not being able to lean into the fuller parts of our numbers. So I think even though we shouldn't type our kids, especially to their faces, there are some things that we can notice about them. So for example, our granddaughter is one and a half. She's far from ever being able to know her type, but I can tell you that she probably is one of the three assertive numbers. You know, she, by personality, she knows what she wants she will tell you what she wants. She has figured out how to tell you what she wants. She is not going to just lay back and let you dress her in whatever you want or take her wherever you want. She pretty much knows what she wants and she'll do whatever she wants to get it. And so she is probably not a nine. And, you know, we know that you are born. Well, we don't know, but the general wisdom is that you're born your number. And that just kind of colors all the different ways that you continue to see the world. And so um, it's pretty, we're pretty sure that she's not one of these more reserved, peaceful numbers. Um, but that's, yeah, that's helpful because, you know, we know that the assertive numbers, 
will respect a assertive but kind parent more, right, than um, some of the other numbers that aren't as assertive that might send them into fear, you know. Mm. And so um, also I think it's important to know that she's not just a bully or she's not just a bad kid, right, that she may have this gift of being a protector or, you know, being a force to be reckoned with. And so, or we might see kids and think that they're weak, you know, when maybe they're just really connected to other people and they're really just concerned with other people's happiness. And so I think it gives us better language to explain what we're seeing from our kids by just knowing that there are these different ways to see the world. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. My oldest child is very assertive um, and I'm not going to read his mail and especially not in a public place, but I will say because I am, am not that way and I'm much more like in tune and wanting to be at peace with people. That was very difficult for me. And I felt like he was always like really from the time he could talk, like kind of giving me some pushback. But as I learned the Enneagram, it kind of gave me a different way of thinking about that and of understanding, no, no, no. When I'm assertive with him, he's not going to get his feelings hurt. Like, he's not going to respect me unless I can meet him head to head. (laughs) And I'm going to need to do that. (laughs) So so it's been really helpful for me to understand that. Yeah. And I feel like we can think like, God, did you make a mistake? Like, I am not the right mom for this child, right? Like, I don't understand the way he works. I don't understand, you know, like, how did I end up with such a strong-willed child when all I want is to make people happy? And so I think the Enneagram gives us tools as parents, and there are no right or wrong pairings, just like in relationships, like, you know, sevens married to eights don't have it easier than sevens married to twos. You know, there's really good ways to do relationship across all the numbers, and there's really poor ways to do relationship across all the numbers. And so I think the Enneagram makes it all okay. It makes your personality as a, more of a peacemaker and relationship builder okay, but it also makes his strong willedness okay. That's right. And I, I mean, the Lord has spoken to me about this long before I knew about the Enneagram, but I just think he's going to be, you know, a, a beautiful leader one day when, when all that is um, worked out and matured for sure. Okay, I wanted to end today with a question that I like to ask all my guests, and that is, who is somebody who inspires you and why? So I think it's my mom. I, you know, it's funny because we live together now. And so I'm parenting, not with her, but kind of in close proximity to her. And I, you know, she's a nine, which is a different personality than me as a seven. But I so appreciate her and how she served us and the ways that she loved us. Um, and it challenges me. Cause I think, you know, like, I think, what would my mom do? Like, what would my mom have done when we were kids? Um, and it's such a different way to relate than I would, because like I said, I'm more of a structure kind of gal. And so it just helps me appreciate, um, she did this, you know, with three kids through adoption without any of the trauma knowledge that we had. And, um, she had great friends, but not adoptive mom friends. 
Um, and you know, for years she did it without a car and we lived in a tiny house. You know, I just think there was so much there. Um, and she is such a fantastic, um, Nana and now great grandmother. And, you know, she just continues to give and give to her family. And so she's such a blessing. And I just think I want, you know, because we've lived in close proximity to her, all of our kids' lives, she'll leave such an impression on them because they've had such a close relationship. And so it also gives me something to aspire to, you know, that I want my kids and my grandkids to, you know, have fond memories um, of me in the same way that my kids will have really fun memories with her. And she's really the one who challenges me to do that laugh more. You know, she's the one that has she's always ready for a project or a fun thing. And she just doesn't seem distracted by all the other things that I seem to be distracted by. (laughs) What a beautiful legacy. I love that. That's sweet. My mom's a nine too, by the way. (laughs) Is she? Yeah. We always laugh because she would always try to get mad at us. And like, she doesn't, even her yelling, like, isn't enough to like scare bird. (laughs) She's so soft-spoken. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and to close us out today, what is one of your favorite scripture passages? It could either be like a lifelong verse that you have or just one that you're finding helpful in this season. Yeah. So my lifelong verse that I keep coming back to is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And it has meant so many different things throughout the years, but it's follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think for a long time, especially in my like adolescence, I was really hung up on following God's example. You know, what would Jesus do like that? You know, the era of the bracelet and all of the things. Um, But now the part that sticks out to me is, you know, how he sacrificed himself for us. And I think about um, the parenting journey that I didn't know that I was going to go on and the ups and the downs. And there has been a ton of sacrifice and we've learned so many lessons about unconditional love. Um, We've had our faith tested and in ways that I'm kind of glad for, because I think it's really deepened my faith. You know, I grew up in a Christian household and we always said certain things like, we believed in unconditional love and we believed in faith, but, you know, there are some things about raising kids to adulthood that really make you wonder about faith and make you realize, um, you know, when you release big kids into the world to make their own decisions, um, and you want to hold on to all the control and then you hear God whisper, like, am I really in control? Do you really trust me with them? Like that they don't, you're not the one in control. Like they were never yours to control And, you know, just, it was an illusion just because they were in your house (laughs) didn't really mean that you had any more control. And so I think that, um, I think releasing kids in the world has, um, tested my faith more than anything I've ever done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm not there yet, but I can only imagine that that would be true. Releasing those arrows and waiting to see where they land. Yeah, for sure. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to or any extra thoughts that you have? Well, we always close our podcast by telling parents that they're good parents doing good work. I think sometimes we don't hear that enough, especially if you're raising kids who are maybe teenagers or haven't quite figured out what a blessing you are to them. And so um, we really do believe that 
God puts parents and kids together on purpose. Um, and, you know, if you're listening to podcasts like this, then I am for sure, for sure that you are a good parent doing good work. Thank you. That is a good word to close us out. I so appreciate that. It was really encouraging. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, for indulging me with two episodes. So it was really fun. <laughs> uh, well, you had too much. I couldn't put it in one, and I'm so glad that we could make two out of it. So it was great. Wow, there was a lot to absorb in that podcast episode, huh? Melissa, thanks again for coming on the podcast and for sharing so much with us. Listeners, if you want to know more about Melissa and what she's up to, because she's got a lot going on and a lot of good resources, you can check out her website at thecorkboardonline.com. I also suggest following her on Instagram. She posts a lot of really great resources and videos. You can find her there at corkboardonline. In this episode, you heard us talk a lot about podcasts and books that might be helpful. And so I want to review a couple of those if you want to go check them out. Melissa talked about The Essential Enneagram and also The Road Back to You being really helpful books if you just need a place to start and jump in. Two podcasts that I really enjoy listening to about the Enneagram are The Enneagram Journey with Suzanne Stabile and Typology with Ian Morgan Cron. Well, friends, if you like this podcast, I hope that you'll go out and give us a great review on your favorite podcasting app. And if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode. You can find me at Pause Renew Next on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can always find blogs and podcasts at the website too, pauserenewnext.com. Well, that is all for this podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, Renew, Next, the podcast. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.